Little devil feels like he just got you at the end of a rope, hanging on to the last knot. You're weary and confounded and confused. And last thing these old heavy arms want to do is reach up to your Abba Father. But when you do, and just start praising him in the midst of the storm. Oh man, wonderful things happen in those situations. Hallelujah. Oh man, he likes to be talking about that. Holy Spirit is like, yes, yes, yes. You could just look behind the veil and see what's going on around you. We walk around praising him all the time. Amen. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful group of believers that you have given us here to be this small part of your body, Grace and Truth Church. We thank you, Lord, for the the vision you've given us to help the body of Christ heal, empower, love, and prosper. Thank you that you have us here receiving that same help that we need to give others. So thank you, Lord, for the implanted seed of your precious word. Let it take root and bear fruit in our lives and help us to have great revelation of today's message for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I, Tavana and I, this morning, we're reading those cards y'all filled out last week, and I, I am just blown away in the spirit. I, I was expecting, you know, lots of recommendations and critique, and all I saw was love and praise and thanksgiving, and I'm just so thankful. To have all of you as part of our family. Amen. Amen. Tavana read yours, Maddie, and she said she sent you a message. Did she? Oh. That was, I think that was last week. So. Yeah. Anyway, she saw it. And I think she took a picture of it and sent a response. But nevertheless, they were beautiful. So thank you all for the encouragement. <laughs> Thank you for all your prayers. I, I that's the best thing you could ever do for me, and I just want you to know that I'm always praying for all of you, specifically, and as a body, Amen. Amen. And so is uh, my wife Tavana and others around the nation that you don't even know. You have preachers all around the nation and. Maybe even in some others praying for you guys. So just know that you are part of a bigger body, which is uh, this spiritual house that God is raising up. Amen. Amen. His body. I uh, I'm always moved when, uh, like this morning. When Sister Norma was uh, 
just saying some kind things to me about the messages and the words and don't know how have time to do this and so forth and so on and I and I just uh, I was standing at the sink this morning uh, washing out my coffee cup and and I just said the same thing Lord I I not only can't but I won't do anything without you and uh, thank you that you promised me so many years ago that you would be there and you would be the one to teach me if, if I was going to do what you asked me to do. You tricked me <laughs> in a good way and you've never let me down, even when I have you. And uh, I don't know what to say, you know, uh, to, be, to answer that question. And uh, I generally set it apart. You know, I, I I stay in tune with the Lord all through the week in different ways and forms, even while I'm working and driving and and all that in my prayer life and study life and all that. And you would think that, uh, you know, I'm like, why, why don't, <laughs> from time to time, I'm like, why don't you just give me the message on Tuesday, you know? <laughs> that could be like these fancy pastors that have it all fit and polished, you know, and ready. And even when I think I know what he wants to say on Saturday night, about the time I want to go to bed, he sits me down and shares the message. And that's what he did at midnight last night. And so, <laughs> a little after two, I went on to bed. But that's okay. You know, if uh, if he's telling me I'm not going to compete for your time and attention or the noise of the world, well, then that's fine. If that's the only time he can reach me, then I'll continue to try to repent of that. And uh, and if, uh, if I want a Tuesday message, I'm going to have to have a, a plowed heart on Tuesday <laughs> and uh, quiet enough for to him to speak. Amen. But I think he does that just so I won't stop seeking him on Wednesday through Saturday, you see. Who knows? (laughs) I might. (laughs) I hope I wouldn't. But he knows me better than I do, amen. And he loves me anyway. And that's exactly what he told me to tell y'all last night. I love uh, our friend Andrew Womack on his, above his fireplace there. He has uh, an engraving thing there that says, tell the kids I love them, you know. And uh, that's what he needs for us to know. God loves you. Matthew chapter 18. Verses 12 through 14. See how I slowed down and even give you time to get there. Matthew 18. Verses 12 through 14. 
I'll back up to the 10th verse, of course. To the what? 10th verse of Matthew chapter 18. This is the parable of the lost sheep. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. You are his little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. The fact that God loves you is one of the great truths of the Bible. And one of the hardest to believe. It's not just pity or some moral obligation that God has toward us. We are actually the objects of God's love. He has infinite love for us. I'll never forget when I had that revelation. And I'm not as blessed as some of you because he actually audibly spoke those words to me. And it almost crushed me in a good way. But just like Thomas, who Jesus told you, you believe because I showed you, you saw me. But more blessed are them who haven't seen and yet they believe. John 3.16, which is a familiar scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever... Believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you so. That I have that word so circled in my Bible. And my wife doesn't know that's where I got it from, but I I tell her that all the time. I love you so. The dot dot dot. It's just, I love you so much that it's just, I can't tell you in words. And so I'm going to try and fail and try and fail and try and fail to show you for the rest of my life. The best of my ability. And when I do it correctly, it will be... Beyond my ability and him working through me, which is what I'm really striving toward. Amen. But he loves you so. Even those who've gone astray. Amen. Look in Luke chapter 14. Verse 12. 
Luke chapter 14, verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you have given a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your... This is not the right scripture I'm looking for. Scratch that for a moment. (laughs) I'll think of it in a second. Look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. I just want to labor on this point for a moment. Because it seemed a little out of place, which is never out of place. But this is something that's very important to the heart of God that we understand how much He loves us, and how much He just is love. He loves everyone. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. This is a parable that is often overlooked. You don't hear it quoted a lot. I want to read it to you. Jesus, of course, teaching here. He says, what do you think? He's talking to the religious Leaders of the day again. They're questioning him. Challenging him. Looking for ways to trip him up. To trick him. Asserting their. Righteousness and their. Their standing in the community. We're you know. We're the. That was their problem. That we're, we're the religious bosses. We're the ones who have been to the finest. Theology. Bible colleges. We're the ones appointed and anointed. Who are you? To talk about God. You see? And not only that. But every time they were around him. They found things to accuse him. Look at you. If you really were one of us. Which he wasn't claiming to be. He was, he's their God. <laughs> You wouldn't be associating with these prostitutes and drunks, tax collectors. Always lumped in with (laughs) the reason the tax collectors. It's not that somebody who works as a tax collector is evil. But in the day, they were a conquered culture. Rome was ruling over them, remember. And Rome had taken people from the... Israeli culture, the Hebrews and he, the Jews, and and they appointed them as tax collectors to go and collect taxes from their own people. And these tax collectors came, became very corrupt. First of all, just to be working with the Romans, you know, they were seedy probably anyway. And then what they did was they went and collected these unjust taxes for the Romans and then they added to it to take money for themselves. So they were pretty hated amongst their own. (laughs) Okay? 
So that's when he refers to the tax collectors. Always lumps them in with the worst of the sinners. That's what he's talking about because that how they were thought of in that day. Anyway, he says, "What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and he said, "Son." Go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. (laughs) But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I'll go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And they answered him, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when, they, when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious leaders of the day, they had a righteousness of their own in their own minds, you see. And they had teachings and doctrines of their own that they passed on to people that weren't exactly biblical. Matter of fact, Jesus told them one day, he said, the te- your, your teachings and doctrines of men have made the word of God Your traditions and doctrines or teachings of men have made the word of God of no effect. They had sort of, kind of like today with this universalism church. They just took, they started out with God, but then they started started writing their own book. And it varied way away from God. But they thought they were something. They walked in pride. But the people, people say, oh, you, you talking, you talk bad about my sin? That's just who I am. Jesus had no problem with you know, he was in the bars. He was in the, he was hanging out with prostitutes and all that. He was there just like any mature Christian today who's out to live his life for one thing, to build the kingdom of God. He was there to minister to those people who would listen to him. Not to participate in their problems. The leaders, they saw and they heard the truth, but they didn't repent. The average sinner who had no righteousness of their own and they knew it. That's a good thing about a good old-fashioned sinner. They don't. They usually don't act like they're not doing anything wrong. They have more respect for God, and they just say, "I know, man. I'm, 
I'm just not there, but God bless you, man, you know. Like the one friend I had, well, I know I'm going to hell. Just please pray for my wife and family. Of course, he's off. He doesn't understand it. He understand the truth, and I'm, I'm praying and believing that he's gonna, gonna get it. But at least he has, and people like that have more respect for God and the things of God than some people who've been sitting on the front pew in church all their life. You see. God wants people who don't just honor Him with their words, but also with their lives. A willing heart. Someone who's open to the truth and willing to accept it. A true change inwardly shows outwardly, doesn't it? It's not that external expression of good that creates the good standing, the justification with God. It's out of that relationship that the good works become a byproduct, you see. There's a lot of people trying to use what real believers have as a byproduct they're putting on out of their own strength and calling it good, calling it righteous, comparing it to the Christian that lives next door and saying, well, I'm okay. I do at least that good. Totally different, right? One has a relationship with God and works out of a position of rest to do the things God created him to do. And wrote for him to do. Before the beginning of time. That's why Paul. Or the writer of Hebrews says. Struggle. Endeavor. To enter that rest. Work. To rest. Work to enter that rest. It seems so backwards. It doesn't seem feasible. It doesn't seem intelligible. But it is. But it's spiritual. One of the things that we have to fight off as true believers is the tendency to become harsh and impatient with others who drift away from God or to who continue to live in their sin, to live their lives apart from God or backslidden believers. Remember Romans 2.4 says that it's the goodness of God that brings repentance. Remember it was the goodness of God that brought you to repentance. When you heard the good news. That someone had come and actually laid down his life for you. And that by his blood. You were cleansed if you'll just accept the free gift. No strings attached. Remember? So we want to be careful that we continue in the faith the same way we came into the faith. 
Some churches, it's almost like they have a timer button. All right, you've been here three weeks. We know you walked in on drugs and drunk as a skunk three weeks ago, and we all gave you a big hug and loved on you and sent you home with a a welcome baggie, but, but now you've been here three weeks. You better have it all together. What? <laughs> Something's wrong with that picture, isn't it? <laughs> That's the church that you hear about when people say, I had a bad experience with church, and I don't know about all that. Well, you had a bad experience with church folks. The church is the body of Christ. And it's hard to discern even for ministers who sitting amongst them is part of that body. So, don't worry. I tell people that are my age or older or maybe not quite as old. I got my first old user the other day. Oh, man. I'm glad I'm dead to myself. <laughs> Devon and I still see ourselves as teenagers. It's shocking somebody called me an old geezer. <laughs> it's the goodness of God that brings repentance. And we have to remember that because people get off track. People backslide. There are always going to be people putting their toe in the water, looking through the windows, as it were, even if they're sitting right in the church. They're still not there. There are going to be others who are on fire, spirit-filled, glory-bound believers. And we have to make sure that we're not forgetting where we came from. We don't want to live in that place. But we definitely need to draw on that to keep us humble. Amen? And we need to remember who we are now to keep us encouraged and free of condemnation. It's a definite balancing act there. Because pride, when we get into pride, God is going to fight against us until we repent and remember He's God, not us. And without Him, we couldn't even walk across this floor. Amen. Amen. It's the truth. But, for those who are always seeking, which, when you're truly born again, there should be a natural desire in you for God for His people, for His Word, for growth and maturity so that you can 
share out of that overflow. There should be something in, inspiring in you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Amen. That your new born again spirit is always praising God. Always filled with peace, love, and joy. And when you can never tap into that, you need to check your salvation. Or you just need to go get alone with God more often. Amen. There's a choice to be made. It's either the flesh... Carnal life in the flesh, the Bible calls it. Worldly is another term for it. Or spiritual, agape love, the kind that gives out, doesn't seek for itself. <laughs> Not the I love you for what you do for me kind of love, which is really lust. Holiness. Which is just a life in agreement with the word of God. Nothing to be scared of. It's a life of love. According to what God calls love. Not what the world calls love. It's life in peace. Jesus said my words are life and peace. People say I've been hurt. I've been hurt by people. We're... We were talking, who was I talking to? But anyway, there's so many people with daddy issues, right? And, I mean, I don't really, well, I'm not going to say I don't believe in psychiatry. I don't think that that's God's best. If you don't know God, uh, you might need a psychiatrist or whatever, something. The problem is they're always going to point you back to you and that's not good. They're going to tell you why you're okay and why it's okay to feel that way about this other things and a lot of those things are ungodly, you see. So just like I don't hate a 12-step program for someone who really needs something, but the one-step program is God's best. Amen? Amen. So... Jesus said, my father made me ruler of all, my Bible says people, but the, the real translation is all flesh. Amen. Mm-hmm. He's the ruler of all flesh. When people are hurt, when they're confused, When they're offended, they're they're offended. Say they got a problem with their earthly father, which most do for some reason. He, what he, how they were hurt was by his flesh that was unyielded. To God. He's not their enemy. The devil is. Some fathers do a great job never knowing God in this life. Those, I, man, I wish I could have even done that. 
I was just selfish apart from God and I didn't do anything right. I became the thing that I hated the most, which I said I would never be, not knowing my father. I did the very thing that I hated the most. Self-absorbed in the world, self-centered, always with an excuse, didn't feel worthy, it's better if I'm gone, all those kind of things. But it was my flesh that did that. Not God. If it's not someone's flesh that offended you or hurt you, then it's something in your flesh that is unyielded and unrepentant to God that allowed the offense to. In other words, some people don't miss an opportunity to be offended. And there's character issues with them, you see. Okay? All offense. All unforgiveness and bitterness from the flesh. Not from God. Jesus said a guy owed the king millions of dollars. The king said, hey, this guy's got to pay up. I'm going to throw him in prison. The guy went in and said, oh, please, Lord. He got on his knees. If you just give me some time, I'll repay it all. He never could have. But the king was merciful. And he forgave him the entire debt and let him go free. He walked right out of there. And in the street, he saw a guy that owed him a few bucks. He started choking him. Give me the money you owe me. No mercy. No time. They, people saw it. They went back and they told the king, who had just been so merciful to him, what he had done. And he said, that wicked servant. I'm going to throw him in prison and he'll never get out until he repays every last penny which was impossible for him to even think about doing. That was a picture of Jesus telling us based on what I've done for you how dare you hold an offense against someone else. Instead of just giving it to me and trusting me to handle it my way and in my time. I'm God, you're not. If you really are a believer, a Christian, which means a little Christ, then you're supposed to be dead to yourself. The life that I live. Now in this body is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The same power that raised him from the dead gives life to this mortal body. Isn't that from the word of God? If that's true, if I'm dead to myself, I can spit on me, I can kick me, I can walk on me, I can take advantage of me, and I don't care. I'm dead. Do 
Jesus came to Saul of Tarsus before he was Paul who wrote a third of the New Testament, blinded him with the light and showed himself to him because he was on his way. He had letters from the authorities to go kill more Christians, put them in prison, break in their doors and do whatever terrible things they were doing to the way they used to call it. People, believers of the way. And what did he say to him? Saul, why dost thou persecute me? Why are you doing these things to me? Paul's like, I haven't done anything to you. I'm sure. He hadn't even met Jesus personally, had he? But Jesus took it personal. If we believe that, if we believe that God loves us so, why would we fight our own battles? Why wouldn't we fight on our knees and believe I'm His child. When I pray according to His will, I know He hears me. And because I know He hears me, I know that I have the petitions that I have given to Him. In other words, like Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, when you pray, believe that you have what you prayed for when you prayed, and you shall have it. Amen. Tell that mountain to... Be uprooted and cast into the sea. That's nothing for just a mustard seed of faith. Oh Lord, even the demons are subject to us. So, so what? That's nothing. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning to the ground. Don't be impressed by that. You're a child of God. Be more impressed. Be more thankful. Be more joyful that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Don't be so surprised anymore that you have authority and power and victory in Jesus. I stopped being overwhelmed by the answered prayers. I get excited and I celebrate and I'm joyful, but I'm not surprised anymore. I'm already waiting for 15 more things that I'm waiting and seeing down the road. So when my daughter came to me, sending me texts this past week and praising God and so thankful that everything had worked out with that neighbor situation I talked about and even better than they possibly could have hoped, I said, He's faithful. And she said, yes, he is. Especially when you go around bragging on him and talking about him like, look, I thought for a second about doing it my way, but then I went, whoa, what am I doing? I have the one who really can handle it. And I trust him. He's faithful. He's got a track record in my life. Let's just give it to him. And wait. That's the hard part. What if he doesn't do it when I need it? What if he doesn't do it the way that I want it? What if they think they got the best of me? 
What if they don't? <laughs> I will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. Isaiah 26.3 Isn't that a great place to be? In perfect peace? Have you found that yet? It's so fleeting, isn't it? It's like you just... It's like... It's like it's like understanding grace. It's just, it's, it's, it's like a wisp of beautiful perfume that you just, you almost have it and, and then you, it's like grabbing hold of water. It's so hard to stay there, but you can, otherwise God wouldn't have said it. If He ever asked us to do something that He didn't empower us to do, He would be unjust. Is He? No. He never made a promise that it wasn't His will for us to have. That's where we get have so much trouble believing and receiving from God because, well, I know God is good and I know He can... I just don't know if He will for me. And then, and, and, like Sarah and Abraham, well, I, I believe Him. I believe. <laughs> when He said it, I was old. I was going to have pleasure with my husband. I'm like, I'm an old lady. <laughs> The Lord said, what did you laugh for? I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. Because of that, your child is going to be named Isaac. Not only are you going to have one, but he's going to be named Laughter. God has a sense of humor. He does. They waited and waited and waited. It didn't happen. Hmm. Well, not getting any younger. Maybe we're supposed to do something to help him. Okay, you girl, you go in there and you're younger than me. You go with my husband and this and that. They did. They had a kid. God said, I don't recognize him. That's not the promised child that I promised you. And now you've created problems for everybody. That If you ever look through the Bible and from the start to now, all the problems that thinking I'll help God created in this world and to all the people in their lives and community and nation and now the world. And Lord, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to try to help you. I don't want to do anything unless you tell me this is what I need to do while I'm waiting. Because face it, when we pray, we don't just sit down under a broom tree and wait. It's not that kind of waiting. We're still praising. We're still believing. We're still going about our day to day. But God is faithful. His will is perfect. His way is perfect. He is faithful and He is just. The problem is, we have become part of the ten spies network, I call it. When God sent twelve spies 
across the river Jordan into the promised land to spy out the land, didn't he? Let's go, go, go check it out. See what we got. Come back and tell us. Ten of the spies of the twelve had a negative report. And then there's what I call the JC network. The Joshua and Caleb network. The other two spies. These are these they were like the ten were like, oh, there's giants over there. They saw us like grasshoppers, and so we saw ourselves like grasshoppers. And they would destroy us. Freaked everybody out. Joshua and Caleb said, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, the giants are big, but so are the grapes. Took two men to carry one cluster of grapes on pole. All that was going to be theirs. And the houses that the giants had built for themselves. That's a mansion. <laughs> he said, yeah, there's giants over there. Yeah, I admit that. We don't deny the things that come against us. We just don't stop there, do we? But God is for us, he said. We should go. We can surely defeat them because God is with us. God said, all you people, you ten negative Nellies, and all the people who started grumbling and complaining and wanted to kill my leaders with them, you, you'll never see that promised land now. Forty more years, you're going to circle that mountain until you're all dead. Except for Joshua and Caleb, they can go in because they believed in me. They trusted in me. They didn't go by what they saw. They go by what they knew by faith. Based on the track record that he already had in their lives. They saw him part the Red Sea. They saw the plagues he brought upon Egypt. They saw how he delivered them. And they said, He didn't bring us all this way to let us down now. Let's keep going. And that's how we should be. And every time I start to get overwhelmed with situations and circumstances, face it, when you pass one trial in this life, we've all had plenty. Here a year and a half or almost two years ago now, I had probably one of the biggest ones in my life. They don't just stop, do they? Well, I'm a believer now. I have Jesus now. No. Oh, I'm, a, I'm the pastor. I, well, no. You think because I'm the pastor that uh, it's uh, less for me than it is for the sheep? No. You think the devil would uh, let's, let's leave uh, God's leaders alone. Uh, let's just go after the sheep. Kidding me? There's not a day that I walk in here that I don't do just what I told you a while ago. God, what am I? How, why is it me? What do I say? I don't know. Any, I, I'm not doing this without you. Please, Lord. I don't beg him anymore. I'm just saying, Lord, thank you for the word, for your children. Let it be you and not me. And I, I believe him. Doesn't mean I don't have to stay up late sometimes. 
Right? I don't just forget about studying to show myself a workman approved. I don't just get to not do anything because I trust God to handle it. Right? But I trust Him. He loves me and He loves you. And He's faithful. So I don't want to be a part of the Ten Spies Network because that's what the world is. You see, face it, we don't get the news anymore. You don't get news. You get biased propaganda and you hear it over and over enough, it sounds like the truth. You hear the lie long enough, you know. And uh, either side, if you think I'm talking sides now, I'm not. It, it's the same spin on both sides. I happen to just weigh it all out and see how much of God I can find in one or the other and then becomes obvious choice and that's it. I don't have a life of my own anymore. I don't get to choose what I think is best or take that easy, broad highway anymore that's filled with everybody and all the fun and the traffic is smoother, it moves fast and it gets you there quicker than you would if you take that small path off to the side that has more potholes in it, more darkness and danger along the path, you see, with only a light for my feet that never runs out of batteries, you see. Nobody hardly here with me. It's more scary. Now those over there on the highway, they're criticizing me. They're making fun of me. Why don't I just jump on the highway and get there quicker? It's smoother. It's safer. Is it? We have the good news, folks. The real news. The almost too good to be true news. That's the gospel. That's what it means. The good news. And it's even more than that. It's, that's why it was hardly ever found in the old days. That word. Paul had to come up with a word that meant almost too good to be true news. The gospel is not, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. That's not the gospel. It's true, but the gospel is the good news. Yeah, if you don't repent and turn to God, you're going to go to a real place called hell. But, let me tell you the good news. The price has already been paid. Your ticket has already been bought. You were already selected from God, by God, to be a, one of His children, to be part of the family of God, to have all eternity with Him, and to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God and everything that He owns, even in this life. All the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, 
Everything that you need for this life and godliness has already been accredited to your account if you will just believe and receive on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't care where you've been. Harlot, the homemaker, the punk, the pastor, the drug addict, the good man who never hurt anybody, worked his whole life as hard as he could just to give of himself and provide for his family and children, but never knew God, all in the same boat. All on the broad highway to hell, whether they know it, whether they like it, whether they want to believe it or not, it's the truth. But the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Welcome everybody who will. These religious leaders of the day could have stepped forward and said, taking my fancy garb off. I see that it's really you, Lord. I'm done with all that. I have made religion, my God. And I'm sorry, Lord. You're really Him, aren't you? What, what can I do? I want to follow you. I want to serve you. First Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Those are the ones who are wise in their own eyes. Those are the, the professors and the theologians who have got it all figured out because they know every word in this book. They know all the right ways according to the Bible of the world. You see? And then they've taken this book apart and they've, they've disproven lots of it, you see. Because they see where, how it was put together. And who it was put together by. And, and, and then, they just like in a courtroom, they, they, they investigate the chain of custody. And how it was handed down. And how it was written and rewritten. And this and that. And uh, how this one story came from this other culture, from other places that were pagan and this one and then they put it all together and do this fine document but it's not written by God if you read this book and then you put it back on the shelf and get another book and you think of them in the same way you don't know God this book is alive and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. 
able to divide soul and spirit. That's the thing that they need the most. They need to see the rhema, the living word of God, and they need to let it divide their spirit, what is spirit, what is truth, and what is their soulish realm, their mind, their will, their emotions that have been abused and taught and confused by the world and by Satan. And they need to understand that when I look into the righteous mirror of this word and it opposes something that I've based my entire life upon and my my reputation and my career and my home life and everything else, I can't just ignore that page and tear it out. I have to repent. I have to change my mind. I have to repent and agree with God and say, Lord, let the chips fall where they may. This is going to destroy everything that I have used to build my life, to protect me and to strengthen everything that I have in this life. And, and it's the only comfort and and source of uh, provision and protection that I know. I've built all of this. And now you tell me that it's all based on a lie and that I have to throw it all away and just say, I trust you? Yes. And I know it's not going to be easy. And I'll be with you every step of the way. And I do love you. And this life is just for a flicker. And if you'll trust me, you'll have eternal life. You'll be with me forever. There's nothing good that I'll withhold from you. Because you'll be my child. I'll be your God. No weapon formed against you will prosper. I will help you to rebuild on a solid foundation of the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. A house that the wind and the waves cannot shake or move or destroy. You won't have to stay at night worrying and wondering about your own protection and provision. Because I've got it all taken care of. I've already written it all out. I've already provided for everything that you'll ever need. Unless God protects the city, the watchmen labor in vain. It's all just a a dream. If we think we've created anything that, that we have to protect, that we have to watch over, God says that's all an illusion. You think that. Oh, I've done so much. I've done so well. I, I don't even have room. I've, look at what I've done. I, I need to build bigger barns to put all of my stuff in. God says, you're so foolish. This very night, your life will be required of you. Then what? Then who's going to get it? Split it up between the lawyers and the government and the ungrateful kids. That's not me saying that. That's, that's what the Bible t- says. Romans 8, 
talks about life in the Spirit. That's the place to be. Paul's beautiful depiction of the law and grace and everything that Jesus has accomplished. This is the most beautiful picture of everything that's transpired through Christ. He finally gets to Romans 8. After the law is dealt with, the flesh is dealt with. And he says, now, therefore, because of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus has delivered us from, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us who walk not according to the flesh, not according to our emotions, not according to the wisdom of the world, but according to the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, according to what God says, according to His way, His will. Remember I told you the key to a prosperous life is a prosperous soul. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health even as thy soul prospers. Third John 2. The correlation there is inseparable. You can't have a prosperous life in God's eyes unless you have a prosperous soul. Until you get rid of all the garbage that's gone in and put the real truth of God's Word until everything in your life, you're bouncing off of the Word of God. Your choices, your decisions, the conversations, everything you hear and see and say. It's coming through this filter. Instead of the conclusions that we have wrongfully concocted in our minds based on the wisdom of the world. One last thing. And I'll just cut this in half. Look in John chapter 11. I won't read this. I'll do my best not to. I'll paraphrase. Jesus had a friend named Lazarus. Y'all remember? Lazarus had two sisters, Martha and Mary. These were real friends of Jesus. They lived in Bethany. Jesus was all about his three and a half year ministry. That was it. He spent 30 years preparing for a three and a half year ministry. And when he set about his father's business... He didn't get off track. He stayed focused. 
They came to Jesus and he was some miles away in another town and he needed a rest. They came to Jesus and said, your friend Lazarus is sick. He's dying. And Jesus stayed where he was. He didn't go for a few days. And then he told the guys, he said, we're going to go. Lazarus sleeps. And he says, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. (laughs) No. Jesus didn't want to speak it over him. Finally, though, the the disciples were so hard-headed sometimes. They just... God bless them. They didn't have the Holy Ghost. They didn't have the Spirit of Truth. They didn't have what we have now yet. He said, no, Lazarus is dead. They went to the trip. He had been in the grave for several days by now. And... Sister comes running out. Jesus, if you'd just been here, you could have, you could have stopped this. You could have, he'd be alive. But you didn't come. Everybody's mourning and grieving. People all around. They already had the funeral. He's been in the grave. And the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. This has been taught so many ways and so many, so much theology has been poured into this. Oh, it's just showing his humanity. How he, he was just sad for his friend. Really? Didn't he raise him from the dead? Don't you think that's why he waited? Don't you think he knew what he was going to do before he ever did it? I do. John 17, 3, on the last night of Jesus' life, the night of his betrayal, he's praying. Talk about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not what we think of as the Lord's Prayer. That's a model prayer. Lord, teach us how to pray. Okay. Okay, when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, our Abba, our Father. That is this. He loves you. You're his child. He was teaching them how to pray. But the Lord's Prayer is right there in John 17. On that faithful night, He's praying to the Father. He's been explaining to them everything on His heart that last night. He had a lot to say. He said, God, my Father has given me authority over all flesh. In John 17, 3, He says, He's praying to the Father and then He stops. And He says, He's still praying, 
But it becomes obvious that he's talking to the disciples now and not to the Father. He says, I want those who are with me to have, to be with us in heaven. He says, and this is eternal life. Like he's going to give his Father in heaven, the creator of all life, the definition for a word in case he doesn't understand. No, he was doing it for the benefit of the disciples and for you and for me. He said, this is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That word know is a passionate, intimate word for know. It's to, to really... It's the same word that they used in Genesis when it said Adam knew Eve and they conceived and had a child. It's, the, it's, it's, it's a oneness. That's the, that's the meaning of eternal life, that we become one with God, that we become close in the sense that we are inseparable. His will and His ways become our will and our ways and our desires. And then once we learn to walk in agreement with Him, as it says in Amos 3.3, 3, how can two walk together lest they be in agreement? You, if you're running and I'm walking, and you, or you're skipping and I'm... How, we have to walk together. If we want to walk and talk together, how can two walk together lest they be in agreement? Let's get in agreement. You, you agree with me, because I'm perfect, the Lord says. <laughs> and that's what's best for you. And then, I'm going to give you the desires of your heart, because your desires will be my desires. And we're going to be one, and it's going to be awesome. And we're going to be together forever. And if you'll agree with me now, you can help me to build the kingdom of God and we can help to vacate hell and populate heaven. And that's really my goal for you. Every time you learn something, you're supposed to continue in your growth, your maturity like that little apple on the tree. Perfect and beautiful when you're an inch big, but getting more and more beautiful and not throwing away what you've already learned and then coming back and having to relearn that and then not even capturing the thing that I'm trying to teach you today. Keep adding to your, so that you can work out the salvation that I'm working in with fear and trembling. And then you'll be walking around in victory and in peace and in joy and in love. And when you walk into the room, people are going to say, I want what you got, man. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He didn't weep because he was sad. He's the author of life and the ruler of all flesh. I know that he was weeping because he's standing right there with people who loved him and people who didn't even know him and people who had heard his teachings and been watching him for a couple years now, three years. And all they saw was death. The author of life itself was standing right in front of them. And all they saw was death. They were all in the ten spies club, you see. And Jesus was just wondering where Joshua and Caleb were. (laughs) 
We need to have an intimate, close personal relationship with the God of life and light and love and peace. We need to know Jesus the way he truly is. Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. We need to know God the Father as our Abba. That is a passionate word for daddy. Like a little kid calls their father Abba. We need to know him not that way. I mean, we do need to know him that way. Not, not the way where most people approach God. This old man with the long white beard and the lightning bolt in his hand. Now, that's Zeus, okay? He's not real. Your father in heaven is not an old man. He's not an old geezer. but he loves you the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity he's beautiful he's irresistible he's loving and kind he's your teacher he's your paraclete the one who has been sent to come alongside you and take a, a hold together with all of the things in your life. All of the problems. All of the obstacles. All of the mountains. To lead you and guide you and teach you all the way and remind you of everything that Jesus has said all the way through this life down that narrow path that seems lonely sometimes and hard to travel. But that's the pilgrim's progress. That's the journey that we're on. And I can tell you, you're not alone. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's going to lead you and guide you. He's the innkeeper that Jesus left you. Jesus, the good Samaritan, left you with to take care of you until he returned. He gave him everything. Here's the money. Two denarii, a day's wage. Take care of him. Anything he needs until I return. And if there be anything more, I'll I'll take care of it. A denarii was a day's wage. With God, one day is as a thousand years. It's about two thousand years worth of... We're almost right there. He's coming, folks. When you see him, are you going to be... Say, Abba, Father. You should be in that position. You should be ready for that. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Get all that cleared up. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Just means you have a perfect relationship with a Father who you run to instead of from. And He forgives you every time and Gets you back on the right course and restores your soul, your mind, your will and emotions so that you walk in peace and victory in life and that you're able to help others with that overflow that you've received from Him. Amen. Amen.
Folks, if your life isn't supernatural, it's superficial. Father, thank you for this day and for your love and revealing yourself to us, for always being there for us. Thank you that we can trust you and that you know us and you want us to know you even more and more and more and help us to call out to you for that and insist on it and settle for nothing less than your best and all of you. You're not our heavenly bellhop. You're you're our Father, our Abba. You love us and you care for us. And you just want us to know that and to share everything with you in this life. Help us with this, Lord. That's our desire. To be in agreement with you and to walk with you and to talk with you and to know your will and your ways and to agree with you and to do it. Thank you, Lord. We know that you're going to help us. And you're going to begin to talk to us all in ways that we know it's you. And we fall to our knees and say, I I cannot deny this. I know it's you. And thank you. And I love you for it. And I, yes, I believe that you love me so. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.